Wonderful day or evening to each and every one of you that is tuning into this program. My name is Riel, and this is a special episode from Generation Z. This is an episode that is going public, but part one and future episodes in this series will be for members only. So please check us out at Generation Z slash Patreon to support our work and get hours and hours of content not only of the research that Dave and myself are doing, but our collaborative interviews, as well as lectures from experts and friends of the show. So this series features us going through Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. The first chapter that we are learning is Fundamentals of Kabbalistic Cosmogony. This episode should serve as a great introduction to the mystery teachings and for our Patreon members that have been dutifully listening to Ani Osaru go deep into the esoteric uh, knowledge with Dave, this may be old information, but there's no harm in reviewing some of the basics. And one last thing before we go, thank you to Naomi on the Patreon who asked on a Zoom call the other week, if I can summarize why I don't subscribe to the heliocentric model of outer space. And to understand why I think outer space is mostly metaphorical, let's look at these arcane concepts. And for the record, I'm just a guy that finds this content interesting and wants to learn with others. So let's begin. And I'm just gonna share my screen here. Okay, so for the public, we're going to just do some basic information here. First up, who is Manly P. Hall? Manly Palmer Hall was a Canadian author, lecturer, astrologer, and mystic. Over his 70-year career, he gave thousands of lectures, including two at Carnegie Hall, Carnegie Hall and published over 150 volumes, of which the best known is The Secret Teachings of All Ages. Okay, so... The book, Secret Teachings of All Ages. I am currently reading it for a second time, if you can see this here. And I read it for the first time maybe about four years ago or so. Just tried to get a chapter a day over a summer. The, the information kind of steeped, but now I'm ready to comprehend the material that I'm reading. So the book, Secret Teachings of All Ages, you can go onto the CIA website, actually, cia.gov slash library, and look up this book. They have it in their archives. So might give you some indication of its significance. But so the book itself, Secret Teachings of All Ages, is an encyclopedic outline of Masonic, Hermetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian symbolical philosophy. Um and being an interpretation of the secret teachings concealed within the rituals, allegories, and mysteries of all ages. Like, that is a mouthful. That is a doozy. And I personally really enjoy telling somebody, I am reading a book about Masonic, Hermetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian symbolical philosophy. Basically, if you are interested in conspiracies and Illuminati and any of those kind of things, seriously, you, you got to learn the esoteric mystery school side of things because then you understand the rationale and the logic and the, the symbolism, the deep metaphors of nearly everything. Especially if we think that there are people that pull the strings behind the scenes that are 
uh, beyond governments, that are beyond transnational corporations, that are beyond banks. How do they how do they control society? Well, they have a lot of knowledge. They are probably initiated. So let's try to do our own initiating here. Not that this is anything formal. This is just, we're just learning some information, open source information here. Okay, so Manly P. Hall there. Yeah, the next thing to look into, what is cosmogony? Well, according to Wikipedia, cosmogony is any model concerning the origin of the cosmos of the universe. Okay, origins of the universe. Okay, so the chapter that we're continuing to look into is the fundamentals of Kabbalistic cosmogony. So we're basically looking at how the uh, Kabbalists viewed the universe. And just for the record, I will look this up in real time. What is a Kabbalist? Well, a Kabbalist is one who studies the Kabbalah, a student of the Jewish Kabbalah, or an expert who is highly skilled in obscure or difficult or esoteric matters. Okay, so to succinctly summarize that, the Kabbalists are the mystics of Judaism, of the Jewish faith. Just like you have the Essenes of Christianity and you have the Sufis of the Islamic tradition. I'm no religion scholar by any means. I'm just interested in learning a bunch of different stuff. And so that's what has led me here right now. So in the first episode, we we just were simply reading through the the chapter, and I'm pointing out specific things that I find interesting that I would like you to also notice. But we've already gone through the first intro part of this chapter, so I'm just going to do a bit of review so that you are at least a little bit uh, comfortable with us proceeding through this uh, cosmogony. So one thing to point out is that we're going to we're looking at the Kabbalistic system of worlds, and uh, as the book says, on the accompanying circular chart, the concentric rings represent diagrammatically the forty rates of vibration called by the Kabbalists spheres, which emanate from Ein Sof. So they are referring to this diagram right here. So this is the this is the depiction of the cosmogony of Kabbalah. And let's continue. If I can just do that, perfect. Okay. So note that the concentric rings representing diagrammatically the 40 rates of vibration, which emanate from Ein Sof, and they are called spheres. Just like in the heliocentric model, our planets are called, our planets are essentially spheres. But, okay, so I'm getting ahead of myself, but to just recap from the first episode, I wanted to point out the dot, the significance of the dot because the dot is essentially Ein Sof, which is God. And try to draw the correlation between Dave's research talking about the dot and what we are exploring right here. So to just give an overview of this, uh, this graph on our right, the diagram, X1 to X2, so we see the outermost line to the secondmost outer line is Ein, then X2 to X3 is Ein Sof, and then X3 to A1 is Ein Sof Hour. So this first outer line is 
the original supreme deity. I'm not going to review specifically all the terms because we already did that in the first episode, but that's how this diagram is seen. And as you get further away from X1, you're actually becoming more separated from the supreme deity. And the dot in the middle is the lowest level that you can be. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but essentially the whole goal is to go from this center dot and reconnect with X1, reconnect with divine consciousness, the universal essence. So, yes, uh, you're going to have to go look at episode one or just go read this book to get some of the information that you missed there. But because this is the second episode. We're going to continue on and just do a little recap of the four different worlds. So in the Kabbalistic cosmogony, we have 40 spheres of creation, which are out of Ein Sof, and they are divided into four great world chains as follows. A1 to A10 is Atziluth, the boundless world of divine names. B1 to B10 is Bria, the archangelic world of creations. C1 to C10 is Yetzirah, the hierarchical world of formations. D1 to D10 is Asiya, the elemental world of substances. Okay, so we are going to go right into what these worlds are and what each layer is. So I'm just going to pull up this diagram so that you can see it as I am reading it out in real time. But okay, but before I do that, actually, I did want to point out, and I did in the previous episode, but the idea that they are each a vibration, each layer is a vibration. So it's almost it, so think of uh, when you toss a pebble into a pond, and that that, that pebble creates a ripple in the water, except it's the inversion of that this time, because the outermost layer is the actual divine source, but the pebble that created the ripple is the lowest level. So that's just a way to like paint this image here, but it's actually the inverse of my metaphor. So maybe I confused you a little bit, but the important thing that I wanted to just share is that it's they are each a rate of vibration so when i'm reading this i'm thinking of the new age idea of raising your vibration ascending to the next level next dimension next density so i find that fascinating that the new age it's not such a new age concept it's actually an old age concept it's actually a mystery school concept so that's why that that's just a little tidbit of why I think it's so important for us to review these arcane ideas, because just like the UFO phenomena, that's not new. That's been going on for a very long time. And I can't wait for those episodes where we're going to get into the esoteric ancient perspectives of aliens and UFOs. A little bit is actually in this chapter, so stay tuned to the very end because it's going to get really interesting, I, I promise. Okay, so we're going through these different uh, spheres, these different realms or worlds. So uh, from Ein Sof, which is the X series, which is its own interesting thing of all this X stuff that's coming up from Archaics, uh, the AIX, 
from Dark Journalist, the X steganography. But here we have uh, X123. So from Ein Sof came A1, the first crown, and the name of the first power of God was Ahie, which means I am. And I think, therefore I am, or I am, therefore I think, as Dave likes to bring up. From A1 came A2, the first wisdom, and the name of the second power of God was Jehovah, which means essence of being. Now, Dan Winter does some fascinating work on exploring the word of Jehovah as similar to Yahweh, and he does his own work there, so I definitely recommend you go check out Dan Winter at fractalfield.com or any of the dozens of lectures that he has blessed Generation Z with sharing. To continue, from A2 came A3, the first understanding, and the name of the high, the third power of God was Jehovah Elohim, which means God of gods. From A3 came A4, the first mercy, and the name of the fourth power of God was El, which means God the creator. From A4 came A5, the first severity, and the name of the fifth power of God was Elohim Gabor, which means God the potent. A6 came A7, the first beauty, and the name of the sixth power of God was Eloha Vadath, which means God the strong. From A6 came A7, the first victory, and the name of the seventh power of God was Jehovah Tezaboath, which means God of hosts. A7 came A8, the first glory, name of the eighth a power of God was Elohim Tezaboath, which means Lord God of hosts. And then A8 to A9, the first foundation, and the name of the ninth power was Shaddai Elchai, which means omnipotent. A9 to A10 is the first kingdom, which means Adonai Malek, which means God. And then A10 came B1, the second crown, and the world Briah was established. So the if you can if you look at the diagram, you have all of these different spheres of A to A10, and then the black line is. Uh, the distinction, the separation between those two worlds. Yeah, that is uh, A10 in the, the dark line. Then the next most darkest line is B10, and then C10, and then D10. So think of like piano, like the, well, I could just reference the Pythagorean theory of music, which is in this book, and that's a whole chapter, and it's fascinating, and talking about the keys of the octaves and how you have the various octaves and then the last octave is actually the first of the previous the first tone of the octave i think but uh as we are going to continue on with uh this chapter the 10 emanations from a1 to a10 inclusive are called the foundations of all creations the kabbalists designate them the 10 roots of the tree of life they are arranged in the form of a great human figure called Adam Kadmon, the man made from the fire mist, the prototypic universal man. In the Atsiluthic world, the powers of gods are most purely manifested. These ten pure and perfect radiations do not descend into the lower worlds and take upon themselves forms, but are, but are reflected upon the substances of the inferior spheres. So this is... I. I was fascinated with this paragraph. 
that these 10 pure and perfect radiations do not descend into the lower worlds and take upon themselves forms, but they are reflected upon the substances of the inferior spheres. So that's just, just steep on that, that we are essentially all mirror reflections of this divine supreme deity in this cosmogony and each as and as you progress through each world through each lower world you are actually reflecting less and less of the original source so i find that fa fascinating now from the first or at zeluthic world they are reflected into the second or briatic world as the reflection always lacks some of the brilliancy of the original image so in the briatic world the 10 radiations lose part of their infinite power a reflection is always like the thing reflected, but smaller and fainter. Okay, so just, just as I was trying to explain, uh, the quote is, a reflection is always like the thing reflected, but smaller and fainter. In the second world, B1 to B10, the order of the spheres is the name as in the At-Zeluthic world, but the 10 circles of light are less brilliant and more tangible and are here referred to as 10 great spirits, divine creatures who assist in the establishment of order and intelligent in intelligence in the universe. As already noted, B1 is born out of A10 and is included within all the spheres superior to itself. Out of B1 are taken nine globes, B2 all the way to 10, which constitute the world of Bria. These 10 subdivisions, however, are really the 10 at-Zeluthic powers reflected into the substance of the Briatic world. B1 is the ruler of this world, for it contains all the other rings of its own world, and also the rings of the third and fourth worlds, C and D. In the world of Bria, the 10 spheres of light are called the Archangels of Bria. Their order and powers are as follows. So I hope that made sense. And feel free to pause and review, uh, listen to it again. Feel free to go get this book and read it for yourself, because this I do think this is very important that we all actually understand these ideas being discussed to really help us uh, decipher the matrix, if you will, and help us really see what, what is going on in our reality as best to the ability that we can. But so again, as you get further away from the original source, uh, the original Sof, Ein Sof, you are becoming more dense and more tangible, less brilliant, so less shiny, because they are circles of light. We are all beings of light. Okay, so the second world, the world of Bria, goes as follows. So from A10 came B1, the second crown. It is called Metatron, the angel of the presence. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are going to immediately hear that word Metatron and be like, whoa, I've heard that before. I'm familiar with that. Well, yeah, that actually was a bit of a surprise to read that as well. And so to just give before we even continue, Metatron. So you have Metatron is an angel in Judaism mentioned three times in the Talmud. Um, and in the mystical Kabbalistic texts with rabbinic literature. So uh, in Jewish Apocrypha, the early Kabbalah Metatron is the name that Enoch received after his transformation into an angel. So this cosmogony is saying that Enoch actually is the 
was the original being before he became the highest up in this angelic hierarchy that's essentially governing our entire reality. And here is an image of Metatron's cube, which I'm sure this is the thing that most of you have seen. Metatron's cube, part of the sacred geometry. But we're not going to get into in this episode, but just uh, keep in mind the astral hygiene of Metatron's cube, the flower of life, and various other geometric symbols that I'm showing you right here. They're not all that they're cracked up to be, and I really look forward to exploring what I mean when I say that. And we've gone deep into this on the Patreon side of Generation Z, whether it's the Telegram chats, the Zoom calls, uh, our our lectures with Dan Winter, with Ani Osaru, with any any of anybody else that's come onto the show. So, to continue, that was Metatron there. Now the set. Uh, let's actually just pull this up. I mean, I'm sure that you can. Remember what the diagram looks like, but I bet that it might help a little bit if I can just get it going here. Okay, well, they've switched sides and that's cool. So from B1 to B2, the second wisdom, it is called Raziel, the herald of deity who revealed the mysteries of Kabbalah to Adam. And then from B2 to B3, the second understanding, it is called Tesafkiel, the contemplation of God. And from B3 to B4 is the second mercy called Tesatkiel, the justice of God. And if you're listening to it, uh, I'll just spell out the first, the second understanding. So from B2 to B3, it's called T-S-A-P-H-K-I-E-L. And then the next level is T-S-A-D-K-I-E-L. So I am by no means a uh, proficient in pronouncing any of these words. I'm just trying my best with the phonetics. My apologies if I'm butchering it. But to continue from B4 to B5 is the second severity called Samael, the severity of God. Then we have the second beauty called Michael, like unto God. Then we have second victory called Haniel, the grace of God. Next up is Raphael, the second glory, the divine physician. Divine physician. Now that's a really interesting one. Why would they include that there? Almost as if that this person, this archangel, is responsible for maybe healing people and having all of the, you know, homeopathic remedies. Note how I didn't say allopathic, but homeopathic. So from B8 to B9 is the second foundation called Gabriel, the man god. And in with Gabriel, I'm going to reference Dan Winter again, but he, he does deep research into who Gabriel is, and he suspects that Gabriel is actually a deity, uh, a being responsible for arguably creating most of the religions on Earth, which have essentially been uh, methods of enslavement and uh, to pow to control humanity. So he questions if Gabriel is actually a good being. So just keep that in mind. And Gabriel is the man god. The second kingdom from B9 to B10 is called Sandalphon, the messiahs. And then B10 came C1, the third crown, the world of Yetzirah was established. 
So the 10 archangels of Bria are conceived to be 10 great spiritual beings whose duty is to manifest the 10 powers of the great name of God existent in the Atsaluthic world, which surrounds and interpenetrates the entire world of creation. All things manifesting in the lower worlds exist first in the intangible rings of the upper spheres, so that creation is, in truth, the process of making tangible the intangible by extending the intangible into various vibratory rates. Yeah, this book has been dense and hard to read, full disclosure, but it is really good practice. So to repeat that sentence, all things manifesting in the lower worlds exist first in the intangible rings of the upper spheres so that creation is, in truth, the process of making tangible the intangible by extending the intangible into various vibratory rates. So that kind of goes into one of my favorite ideas is that we are the universe expressing itself. And this chapter does say that, that we are basically individual experiences of the supreme deity. The 10 globes of Briatic power, while themselves reflections, are mirrored downward into the third or Yetzeratic world, where still more limited in their expression, they become the spiritual and invisible zodiac, which is behind the visible band of constellations. In this third world, the 10 globes of the original Atsaluthic world are greatly limited and dimmed. And in the third world, C1 to C10, the globes become hierarchies of celestial creatures called the choirs of Yetzirah. Here again, all are included within the ring C1, the power which controls the Yetzeratic world, and which includes itself and controls the entire world D. The order of the globes and the names of the hierarchies composing them are as follows. Just a little bit of lag here on my end, so I'm just uh, noticing that, but we're going to continue. So from B10 came A came C1. The third crown, the hierarchy, is the cherubim, Cheoth, Ha, Kadosh, the holy animals. From C1 to C2, the third wisdom, the hierarchy is the cherubim, or phanim, the wheels. Then we have the third understanding. The hierarchy is the thrones, the Eralim, the mighty ones. But let's go back to the cherubim. So the hierarchy is the cherubim. And what the heck does that mean? Uh, I mean, we could be asking that about all of these. But uh, so uh, cherubim or 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 phanum, the wheels. Well, what is a cherub? Sherub is a is the order of angels. That's what it means. So the cherubim are essentially the human angels, as Pierre Sabak explains. And then we're going to see the next word here. So the third, I skipped one, my apologies. The third mercy, the hierarchy is the dominations. Shashmalim, the brilliant ones. Uh, C4 came C5, the third severity, the hierarchy is the powers, the seraphim, the flaming serpents. So in the work of Pierre Sabac, who I hope to be getting on the show very soon, he actually explains that the seraphim are the, the serpent angels and the cherubim are the human angels. 
and that's its own fascinating dive. But so interesting to note the wheels of Cherubim or Phanum. And I believe that we're going to get a little bit into Ezekiel's wheel and what that means. And then we have, so the C5 to C6 is the third beauty. The hierarchy is the virtues, the Melikim, the kings. So you go, so far it's gone the wheels, the mighty ones, the brilliant ones, the flaming serpents, the kings. Next up, we have the third victory. The hierarchy is the principalities or the Elohim, the gods. And then we have the third glory. The hierarchy is the archangels, Ben Elohim, sons of gods. Then we have hierarchy, the third foundation. Hierarchy is the angels, cherubim, the scat of the sons. The scat of the sons. Well, the word scat doesn't really sit too nice with me, but a verb is to improvise nonsense syllables, usually to an instrumental accompaniment. So the cherubim are the scat of the sons. We are the nonsense. <laughs> we are the nonsense syllables. Fair enough. Uh, and then the next is the third kingdom, the hierarchy of humanity. Is humanity the Isham, the souls of just men? And then from C1 becomes D1, the fourth, sorry, C10 comes D1, the fourth crown, the world of Asia was established. So we, just to review, it goes uh, the wheels, the mighty ones, the brilliant ones, the flaming serpents, the kings, the gods, the sons of gods, the scat of the sons, the souls of just men. And a term that I want us to look into is Ben Elohim. What is the word Ben? Where, where have we heard that before? Oh, interesting. The Ben Ben stone. Well, what is this? In the creation myth of the Heliopolitan form of ancient Egyptian religion, Ben-Ben was the mound that arose from the primordial waters new upon which the creator deity Atum settled. The Ben-Ben stone, also known as a pyramidion, is the top stone of the pyramid. It is also related to the obelisk. So that'll be... Oh, and I'm reading this in real time, so you see my... Um excitement actually is because Benu, if I just go down to Ben Ben Stone, we have the bird deity Benu, which is probably the inspiration for the Phoenix. I think that we're going to see that there is actually an asteroid that they are paying a lot of attention to called Benu. And that makes a lot of sense. So we're just going to leave that there though, but I'm definitely going to be using that in future episodes of my own research. Okay, so to continue on uh, with the book, from the Yetzeratic world, the light of the ten spheres is reflected into the world of Asia, the lowest of the four. The ten globes of the original Atzeluthic world here take upon themselves forms of physical matter, and the sidereal system is the result. The world of Asia, or the elemental world of substance, is the one into which humanity descended at the time of Adam's fall. The Garden of Eden is the three upper worlds, and for his sins, man was forced into the sphere of substance and assumed coats of skin. So our punishment, for whatever reason, is we have these meat suits, which keeps us less brilliant and more physical than we really are. 
all of the spiritual forces of the upper worlds, A, B, C, when they strike against the elements of the lower world, D, are distorted and perverted, resulting in the creation of hierarchies of demons to correspond with the good spirits in each of the higher worlds. In all the ancient mysteries, matter was regarded as the source of all evil and spirit the source of all good, for matter inhibits and limits, often so clogging the inner perceptions that man is unable to recognize his own divine potentialities. Since man thus prevents humanity from claiming its birthright, it is called the adversary, the power of evil. The fourth world, D, is the world of solar systems. So, I just hope that the, the lag isn't too bad. I'm seeing that there's a bit of freezing, which is weird because my Wi-Fi is super solid and reliable. So, maybe they just don't want this information getting out there, but we got to persevere anyway. So, to recap what this passage is saying, um, of all this, yeah, so garden, we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, which is the first three worlds. And then we're living in the fourth world, which is substance, um, uh, assumed coats of skin. And then of all the spiritual forces of the upper worlds, striking against the elements of the lower world, D, uh, they are distorted and perverted, resulting in the creation of hierarchies of demons to correspond with the good spirits in each of the higher worlds. In all the ancient mysteries, matter was regarded as the source of all evil and spirit the source of all good. So matter regard, regarded as evil and spirit regarded of all good. And this is important here. So we are so clogged that we are unable to recognize our own divine potentialities. Now I'm going to draw a parallel with uh, in the world of geometry and mathematics, where actually there's the idea that the potentials of Maxwell's equations have basically been taken out by the heavy side castration of his equations. So these ancient mystery schools talk about divine potentialities, yet it's interesting to notice in the quantum world of, of academia and mathematics, geometry, and all that, we're actually not supposed to think about potentialities. I wonder why. Now, the fourth world is the world of solar systems. So now this is the part where we're getting to that, you know, substantiates my skepticism of outer space and of heliocentricity. I'm not a flat earther, but if you... Uh, no, I'm not a flat earther. And if you were to look at the book, just look at the front cover. In a dome with a flat disc, and this is like one of the most ancient cosmological perspectives so like what is the earth where where are we living what is going on okay so <laughs> as the book says opinions differ as to the arrangement of the globes of this last world d1 to d10 inclusive the ruler of the fourth world called by some the fiery heaven by others the primum mobile or the first motion from this whirling fire emanates the material starry zodiac d2 
in contradistinction to the invisible spiritual zodiac of the Yetzeratic world. From the zodiac D2 are differentiated the spheres of the planets in concatenate order. Concatenate. I am going to look this up in real time because I don't know what that word means. To, to connect or link in a series of change. Uh, chain to arrange into a chained list. Okay. See, I love learning words, and I hope you do too. Uh, so, in contradistinction to the invisible spiritual zodiac of the Yetzeratic world, from the zodiac D2 are differentiated the spheres of the planets in concatenate order. The 10 spheres of the world of Asias are as follows. Now, this is where, you know, if you are a Flat Earth subscriber, you're going to be like, see, I told you, but hold, hold your horses because, you know, that the whole flat idea of it just, yes, the universe is flat according to the uh, physics, but it's also, well, how do I want to say that? Yeah, okay, we can just leave that there. But as the first episode of this series, I believe that I, maybe I didn't, but I pointed out the, the concave idea and that were, um, yeah, I'll just go there because that's another episode, not for this, but concave earth. So uh, from D1 to D2, the fourth wisdom or Masloth, the zodiac, the firmament of the fixed stars. So this is the first layer of the fourth world, the fourth world we are, where we are kept in these meat suits where it's a punishment we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, of Paradise, and the first layer of this is the firmament, the fixed stars. So just go out right now after this episode and just go look up at the sky. Hopefully there's no clouds. Hopefully you can see the some speckles in that blackness of, of, of space, as they call it. And just, like, what are you actually looking at when you when you see these things? Just Just asking. To continue on, though, from D2 to D3 comes the fourth understanding, Shabbatai, the sphere of Saturn. Next up is the fourth mercy, Tzedek, the sphere of Jupiter. The fourth severity, Madim, the sphere of Mars. The fourth beauty, Shemesh, the sphere of the sun. Then the fourth victory, Noga, the sphere of Venus. Then the fourth glory, Kokab, the sphere of Mercury. Then the fourth foundation, Lavana, the sphere of the moon. And the fourth kingdom, Sholom Yosodoth, the sphere of the four elements. So in this ancient cosmology, as many of you maybe know, they used to think that Saturn was the edge of our solar system. And they also used to think that Saturn was the original sun. So in this paradigm, Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury, the Moon, and then the four elements. And I find that fascinating because personally, I really do enjoy looking into the idea of the the the, the Saturn black cube worshiping cult and understanding that that is a root of most of the religions that we live in. Now, this isn't the episode to get into that, but just throwing that out there because we definitely have gone deep into this on the Patreon side of things. But here's the actual arcane substance for why this is such a prominent conspiracy theory nowadays. So in the, as the, the book says, 
In the world of Asia, we are to be found the demons and tempters. These are likewise reflections of the ten great globes of Atziluth. But because of the distortion of the images resulting from the base substances of the world of Asia, upon which they are reflected, they become evil creatures, called shells by the Kabbalists. These are ten, there are ten hierarchies of these demons to correlate with the ten hierarchies of good spirits composing the Yetzeratic world. So just like all these other uh, worlds, this is a reflection of the ten great globes of the Atzalith world. And this next paradigm talks about demons and entities, and they call them shells. The evil creatures are called shells. So there's, in addition to there's the hierarchy of the archangels, here's the ten hierarchy of the there uh, of demons, which correlates with the good spirits. And in this, um, so the, the ten archdemons corresponding to the ten archangels of Bria. The black magicians use these inverted spirits in their efforts to attain their nefarious ends. But in time, the demon destroys those who bind themselves to it. The ten orders of demons and the ten archdemons of the world Asia are as follows. But before I say that, I have already shared this with Dave in a, you know, in our, our passing conversations that one of the chapters of this book goes into black magic. And it explains how sorcerers would conjure up a demon and it explains how you do it. Not that I've done it, but it just says how, how you do it. And you summon a demon, a negative entity that you basically exchange, you, you, you try to become its master and it does stuff for you but you have to do things for it. So basically there's an agreement where as soon as you die in this physical life, in your next, in your afterlife, you become that demon's slave. Now the people, the black sorcerers that summon these entities, they don't want to die. So they try to prolong their life and preserve it as well. They try to swap out others in exchange so that maybe they are going to be saved from eventually being the, the, the slave of the demon that they use to help them manifest the things in this physical life. Now, how many people do you think have, in these elite societies have done terrible, terrible things as a way to basically, you know, try to fend off one of these, these negative beings that they agreed to summon in exchange you know, maybe there's that's the reason why there's a lot of bad stuff that's going on. Maybe there's that reason why there's these seems like ritualistic false flag events and other disasters and just very terrible things that are happening. So just behind the scenes, what is going on? Well, you know, maybe they're they're doing stuff like this. But to get into the 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 hierarchy of the demons, and which this is the last world that we're looking into in this episode. So D1 is the evil crown, and the hierarchy is called Thaumio, the doubles of God, the two-headed. The archdemons are Satan and Moloch. Now, I'm sure that you've heard them before, Satan and Moloch. Um, yeah. The doubles of God, the two-headed, like the two-headed phoenix, the, the symbol of, of the Prussian Empire. Uh, the Russian 
presidential flag, the two-headed phoenix. Is there any connection here? So from the next level, we have the evil wisdom. The hierarchy is called Shigidio, those who obstruct. The archdemon is Adam Belial. And I'll, uh, so if you're a fan of Dark Journalist or know anything about his work, he talks about uh, the kind of negative secret society of the Atlantean, Atlantean times who worshipped, uh, they were the Belial group. So if that, that may ring a bell for you. From D2 came D3, the evil understanding, the hierarchy is called Satharial, the concealment of God. The archdemon is Lucifuge. Now, Lucifuge, this is so fascinating to me because first up, you have Lusa, Lucifer, and then the second part, you have Fuge. Now, this is a big connection that I made uh, just yesterday while I was reviewing the content here. In the work of Dan Winter, he explains that it's all about non-destructive non charge implosion, and it's about being centripetal, not centrifugal. Centripetal and centrifugal are opposites. So I wonder if right here we have that, that suffix of F-U-G-E, fuge, being centrifugal is actually the opposite of, or maybe not the exact opposite, but not what you want to be doing because you want to be imploding non-destructively, but maybe the centrifugal is going to help, is going to make you explode, something like that. But to continue, we have the evil mercy. The hierarchy is called Gamshikoth, the disturber of things. The archdemon is Astaroth. From D4 comes D5, the evil severity. And the hierarchy is called Golab, incendiarism and burning. The archdemon is Asmodeus. So like arson. Arson is basically, <laughs> wow. So from uh, the next one is the evil beauty and called Togarini. The Wranglers, the archdemon is Belfegor. And the next one is Evil Victory. The hierarchy is called Harab Sarap, the dispensing raven. The archdemon is Baal Kanon, the dispensing raven. Ooh, I'm keeping a note to myself about that because I was just looking at raven-related topics that I'm not getting to on this episode, but we will be in future ones. D7 to D8 is the evil glory, the hierarchy called Samael, the embroiler. Archdemon is Adra-Melech. Adra-Melech. And then the next one, the evil foundation called Gamaliel, the obscene, whose archdemon is Lilith. Archdemon is Lilith. Well, who is Lilith? Because I thought that she was supposed to be something like Adam's wife. And here we have, according to Wikipedia, Lilith is a female figure in Mesopotamia, alternatively, the first wife of Adam, and supposedly the primordial she-demon. Well, that, you know, I did not expect that. But then we can get into Lilith, and that's that. Uh, there's a lot to get into with that word, but just on the very surface level, the wife of, of Adam the first wife of Adam is an archdemon of the lowest world. Now that's a bit creepy. 
what are we doing worship like in the whole adam yeah never mind but the next is the evil kingdom the hierarchy called nahema the impure the archdemon is nahima so i know that these are a lot of probably a lot of new word new new words and not necessarily saying that they're going to be coming up a lot in our research but i think as somebody that really likes etymology and what Pierre Sabac calls polyglottal symbolism, which is how words change but mean the same thing throughout different languages and different cultures. I think it's very important to see these words and their roots. And like if we go up to this uh, first word, uh, the, the first crown, the first globe, uh, the first 10 great circles in the at sea Luthic world, we have the words. L. So from A3 came A4, the power of God was L, which means God the creator. Then you have Elohim. Well, notice that the ending of all of these words is E-L. And my name as well. <laughs> my name also ends in E-L. Not that that necessarily means anything, because what's in a name, but I find that fascinating. And then you can look into what L means, as L is in a 90-degree angle, a vector. And that's its own thing that please connect to with the research that Dave is talking about. L means the lion, the lion's club. And that's, if you've watched on our Patreon, I've done an entire episode on the service clubs, including the Rotary Club, the Lions Club, the YMCA, the Alpine Club. But I hope that this has been interesting so far. Um, I know that this this content is is a little heavy, but that's where we're at with Generation Z. And so that was the conclusion of the Arch Demons. But to continue on, now this is where it's we're this we're ending, and this is going to be very interesting. I yeah, I'm excited about this. So to read it, the Kabbalists declare that the worlds, intelligences, and hierarchies were established according to the vision of Ezekiel. By the man of Ezekiel's vision is symbolized the world of At-Zeluth, by the throne, the world of Bria, by the firmament, the world of Yetzirah, and by the living creatures of the world of Asia. These spheres are the wheels within wheels of the prophet. Ooh, now like this was the sentence that I read when I said, okay, I want to share this whole this whole this whole chapter. These spheres are the wheels within wheels of the prophet. Now, what are they talking about? Ezekiel's wheel. This was one of the first videos that Dave ever did on Generation Z. Um, oh, well, I guess there's not a Wikipedia page for it, but uh, no, that's just a song. Well, that's fine. But there's the idea here. We'll just look at this image. So this is a, a depiction of Ezekiel's wheel. This is not a formal depiction. Here's another depiction of Ezekiel's wheel, which looks to me like a gyroscope and it's concentric circles, wheel within wheel. So could that wheel within wheel symbolize this? These Ezekiel's wheels is symbolic of the Kabbalistic cosmogony. What Or was it a physical thing in the sky that people were flying around in? 
like the original UFOs. I'm not too sure, but we're just throwing out ideas here. And that's, uh, I think, a very important one that I hope that you take home and contemplate. So to continue on with the paragraph, the Kabbalists next established a human figure in each of the four worlds. A1 was the head and A10 the feet of the man of Atzaluth. B1 was the head and B10 the feet of the man of Bria. C1 was the head and C10 the feet of the man. D1 was the head and D10 the feet of the man of Asia. These four are called the world men. They are considered androgynous and are the prototypes of humanity. Androgynous and the prototypes of humanity. Now, just for the sake of it, let's get the full word of androgyny means you have both female and male characteristics. So the human body, like that of the universe, is considered to be a material expression of 10 globes or spheres of light. Therefore, man is called the microcosm, the little world, built in the image of the great world of which he is a part. The Kabbalists also established a mysterious universal man with his head at A1 and his feet at D10. This is probably the secret significance of the great figure of Nebuchadnezzar's dream with its head in the world of Atsilith, its arms and hands in the world of Bria, its generative system in the world of Yetzirah, and its legs and feet in the world of Asiya. This is the grand man of Zohar. And we're not going to read that quote from Eliphaz Levi. I'm sure it would be helpful to us, but we're not going so deep with this information. And we're almost concluding uh, this episode. Um, right. So we are, uh, before we actually finish up, I'm just going to show you. So Shira, Ben Ben, Metatron. So yes, here is an image of the actual tree of life. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So there are 11 spheres total but only 10 are connected because you have dot here that is kind of on its own but it is still connected but so this is the kabbalistic tree of life this is a depiction of it and we can go this is a very deep symbol uh just so that you see it for the sake of your visual aid but to continue on by placing man himself at the point D10, his true constitution is revealed. He exists upon four worlds, only one of which is visible. It is then made evident that his parts and members upon the material plane are, by analogy, hierarchies and intelligences in the higher world. Here, again, the law of interpenetration is evidenced. Although within man is the entire universe, which are the 43 spheres interpenetrating D10. Right here. Yeah. And so uh, he is ignorant of its, of its existence because he cannot exercise control over that which is superior or to greater than himself. Nevertheless, all these higher spheres exercise control over him, as his functions and activities demonstrate. If they did not, he would be an inert mass of substance. He would be an inert mass of substance. That's funny. 
That what a good insult. Death is merely the result of deflecting the life impulses of the higher rings away from the lower body. Oh, that's deep. Death is merely the result of deflecting the life impulses of the higher rings away from the lower body. And to continue, and this is going to be the last bit that I'm going to be reading from this book for the, today's episode, the control of the, of the transubstantial rings over their own material reflection is called life. And the spirit of man is, in reality, a name given to this great host of intelligences, which are focused upon substance through a point called ego, established in the midst of themselves. X1 is the outside boundary of the human auric egg, and the entire diagram becomes a cross-section of the constitution of man, or a cross-section of the cosmic constitution, if correlated with the universe. By the secret culture of the Kabbalistic school, man is taught how to climb the rings, or unfold his consciousness, until at last he returns to Ein Sof. The process by which this is accomplished is called the 50 Gates of Light. Kircher, the Jesuit Kabbalist, declares that Moses passed through 49 of the gates, but that Christ alone passed the 50th gate. Wow. Well, so that's, and to just conclude with this episode, unfold his consciousness, climb the rings, unfold his consciousness. Well, I'm just going to make a quick reference here to a manifold. And I know it says unfold, but here we have in mathematics a manifold, which is a topological space that locally resembles the Euclidean space near each point. More precisely, an n-dimensional manifold, or n-manifold for short, is a topological space with the property that each point has a neighborhood that is homeomorphic to an open subset of n-dimensional Euclidean space. And I understand that it might be just confusing to throw this in here as the last reference, but this is what I'm tying into to the research of, of Dave, because he's going deep into the mathematics and geometry, and there are absolute correlations and parallels between the ancient arcane mystical teachings and modern day geometry, mathematics, because geometry and mathematics were literally part of the mystery schools, but we're basically, we're... We're kind of stuck in Euclidean space, but we're moving to more hyperbolic space, hyperdimensional geometry. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I covered uh, my notes that I wanted to cover. So, I am going to stop the screen and just want to say thank you so much for tuning into this. Um, if you're new to the channel, hopefully, you check out some of our other videos. I strongly recommend you uh, subscribe to our Patreon at generationz slash Patreon. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, we're trying to turn this into, you know, livelihoods and incomes and be full-time researchers and and help educate and and guide and shift through, help guide the collective consciousness through this shift in paradigm, in a paradigm that we're going through. But there you have it. That was the uh, second part of the fundamentals of Kabbalistic cosmogony. Hope you enjoyed it and 
see you all very, very soon. Leave your comments below. Let me know what you thought. Have a great night.